Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. I want to begin, first of all, we talked about, we're talking about the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is revealed in who He is. Who He is is revealed to us in the Scripture. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. The problem is people have taken the red pen. We've edited the book so that we can compromise what we do not see. We can compromise what our physical carnal senses do not dictate to us. And that's wrong. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, but he requires a people who believe in him. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, he says, when I come, will I find persistence of faith on the earth? And the problem is we don't want to persist because we live in a society where everything is in our hand or in this little box. The other day I left the house. We were going to meet our children to celebrate Father's Day and my one of my grandson's 17th birthday, and I forgot my phone. And well, Randy, my common word to him is, why do you even have a phone? (laughs) When people need him, they text me. (laughs) FYI. So it's annoying, to say the least. I can't find a scripture that says love is not annoyed. So (laughs) I know I just stretched it, but. And so I didn't have my phone, and I thought, and you know, I felt completely lost. What if somebody needs me? I'm praying all the way to the destination because then I know all my children and grandchildren have their phone. So we're back online. But see, we live in that kind of society now where we don't want to immerse, or as the term goes, marinate ourselves in the Holy Spirit. We don't want to spend those hours with him. We don't want to just fill ourselves with the word. I was thinking, actually, when I pulled into the driveway, Jesus said, just wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They waited 120 days, and I thought, I wonder how many Americans would do that. Can you imagine? They were all in one room. If you've watched any of the series, The Chosen, it is unfathomable to me that they live that way. All the scenes at night, they're in this dark room with just candles. And it's just depressing. And I said, Randy, can you imagine if we had to live like that? And then I remembered that during Snowvid, we did. (laughs) And I mean, we would just cuddle up on the sofa, freezing with the dog in between us. And and we were so cold, and, and there was only the fireplace. And yet that's how they lived, and they didn't know anything differently. But the light of the world was in their midst, the light of the world. And so the other day when I was praying, I found something that was just remarkable to me. And the scriptures were already on hard copy. And so I just wrote this down. Most of you, if I said, what does Hosea 4, 6 say? Who would know? Who knows what Isaiah 4, 6 says? Oh, please. What? Right. My people, my people, my people are destroyed. What does the thief come to do? Still kill and destroy. Why are his people, my people, destroyed? For lack of knowledge. 
In the Hebrew, that word knowledge means the highest sense, the knowledge of God. My people are destroyed because of a lack of the knowledge of God. But guess what? Isaiah 5, 13 says the same thing. Therefore, my people, my people go into exile because they lack the knowledge of God. I didn't even know that was twice in the Old Testament, just till the other day. And their honorable men are famished. See, it doesn't matter how honorable you are or how much integrity you walk in. If you lack the knowledge of God, destruction can come upon you. It's a door. And their common people are parched with thirst. Why? Because my people go into exile because they lack the knowledge of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an alarm clock for me. It is an alarm clock to fill myself with the knowledge of the Father's heart toward me and my family and those whom he's given to me. I want to wake up and I want to have the highest sense of the knowledge of God. It's repeated in the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5, or 10, excuse me, and verse 5, where we are to take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And that New Testament Greek word is gnoskos. And here's what it means. A working functional knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience. The knowledge of God is offered in the gospel, in science. I just wonder, what are we doing? Are you spending time getting to know him? Because here's the truth. If you're in love with somebody, and I hate to tell you this, I won't name any names, but scientifically, it is proven that the in love experience lasts two years. After every wedding comes a marriage. How many of you know that? 49 years. Beside Pam, she's a lot older than me. Who's been married more than 50 years? Raise your hand. Novita, one, two. Keep your hand up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Is that all seven? What? She said what? She, oh, can you count both of your marriages? Well, no. I have to ask the Lord about that one. Yeah, no. Okay, let me repeat that. How many of you have been married more than 50 years to the same person? Okay. Eight of you. Eight of you. Now, those of you who have been married more than 50 years to the same person, I have one question. Do you have to work at it? Yes, you do. Because there's no such thing as coasting in the spirit realm. You can't coast. You're either going forward or you're going backward. If I sit in my car and I put it in neutral, I am going nowhere. And the current car I'm driving, totally different than the cars I've had in the past. Because everything is in the little thing that used to be your blinker. There's not this gear thing. And so out of habit, I've been driving and I hit that instead of 
the blinker, which is now on the left. And so here I'm driving and I accidentally put the car in neutral or in park or in reverse. You see, you can't coast. Not if you're going somewhere. Well, why is it any different when the Bible says the Lord is our husband? Why do we think we can coast? Why do we think we can just not get in the word, not spend time communing with him? You probably know that the Bible word for wait does not mean that I'm sitting around twiddling my thumbs. It means I am entwining myself with the Lord. It's like Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And I shared last time when we talked about Jehovah Rapha, our healer, I showed you the, the number and it's been added to of post-it little tabs of dozens and dozens. I honestly haven't counted. I would think there's probably close to 70, 75 where the Lord said, I want you to start taking your medicine every day. And, and so in my prayer time, I go, Lord, it's time to take my medicine. And I showed you how many scriptures where he says, I am the Lord that heals you. That word heal is Rapha, the Lord, my healer. He sent his word, Rapha, and healed you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget his benefits, who heals Rapha, all of my diseases. For I will restore health to you. There's the word Marpe, such as in Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. His word is life to me, healing and health. That word is Marpe. It means a cure or a remedy. And I was reading something so powerful. In fact, I, in fact, you know what? I just happened to text it. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that reminder. I happened to text it to someone this morning. And if I can find it, I'm going to read it to you. And I, I, want to read, I want to say, I love doctors. Thank God for them. Most of us would be dead. I would. Because when I had that dental crisis seven, eight years ago, I mean, without doctors, I would have died. Had the Lord not orchestrated that my husband just happened to be there. When I had a big seizure from dehydration, he thought I was just sleeping and getting better. It was, if you don't know, I had a severe reaction to an anesthesia. And he was getting ready to go for a walk. He thinks I'm sleeping. And all of a sudden he heard a roar. If you've ever seen a seizure, you know what I'm talking about. Hope you haven't, because it's ghastly. And he called EMS and they got sodium in me right away. I would have died. I was at stroke death level in my sodium numbers. But God orchestrated. He put his hand against the enemy. And I'm telling you, I really believe it's because before I went unconscious, the last thing I remember is saying, and, I, and this was... I was very sick. I want you to understand that. I would not normally say that. But I remember screaming with the strength I had left, Jesus, why won't you help me? That's how bad it was. But I said, Jesus. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Okay, so this is what I read. So I love doctors. Thank God for them. Thank God, you know, for, but I want to read to you about a miracle. This is so good. The healing power of God doesn't require test groups and years of tinkering to find the right combination of ingredients. The healing power of God always produces results, and it doesn't come with warning labels. 
The healing power of God doesn't come from a formula in a textbook. It's time to stop watering down miracles to what the wisdom of men produces. If a sinner can go to school and then perform what they learn from a textbook, it's not a miracle. A man putting poison in someone's body to kill something is not a miracle. It's no different than a plumber pouring Drano down a pipe to remove a dog or a clog. That's not a miracle. <laughs> I'm thankful for all the science, the technology, the engineering, and the amazing wisdom and knowledge, care, and dedication that men and women have produced. However, the moment we call what man can do without God miraculous, we have erred. We have brought God down to man's standards and shortened ourselves and the world of what God alone can do. Let's stop calling things miracles that aren't even miracles and elevate the standard of the miraculous once again to that of what Christ produces, for he is the way. Now, if you receive your healing through treatment, that's great. That's wonderful. But I'm just telling you, when it's Jehovah Rapha on the scene, he is the God who heals us. And I don't know about you, but I prefer that. There's no side effects. They don't bill my insurance. And then you have to argue with them to get them to pay a penny of what we are already paying $1,600 a month for. I'm just saying. He is the Lord, our shepherd, Jehovah Raha still. And I shall not lack. I shall not lack the heart of the Father. Today, we're going to talk about something, a, a, a heart, part of the heart of God that is so dear to me. And that is a word you all know, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And what does that really mean? Does that mean I have temporary relief from a suffering or trial? Or does it mean a supernatural peace that can only come from Jesus Christ himself? Because as we've seen over and over and over again, Jehovah and Jesus are one. That we can take the Old Testament revelation of Jehovah and every single time find Jesus in the new covenant. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, John 10, I am the good shepherd. The Lord is our healer. He sent his word and he healed us. You go over to the new covenant and Jesus went about doing good and healing all oppressed by the devil. And so today, the Lord is our peace. Now, I grew up in an environment when we would always ask mother, it's very hard to give my mother a gift. And I mean that in all due respect. But in all due respect, she never likes what you give her. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, it's just like, well, you know, the kids go, well, Nana, she's going to complain. She doesn't like gift cards, which I think a gift card is honestly one of the ideal, that or cash. I mean, that's an ideal gift, right? Go get what you want, right? She hates gift cards. Don't give her one. But I tell my kids to do it anyway because, oh, well. But I, we would always say, Mom, I want to give you something you like. What do you want for Christmas, birthday, whatever? And she would always say the same thing. I just want peace. But you can't package it. You have to know the God of peace. Now, in the Bible study, do we have any more left or are they all gone? We've reordered. How many times? Three now. I give you lots of scriptures. We don't have time to go through all of those today. 
And those of you watching online, God bless you. I love you so much. But no, we don't have a bookstore anymore, so we don't ship it out. And so I learned that the best gift is the gift of peace. In Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. That is a fruit of abiding in him. And so it means more to me than anything in my, my health, in my life, in my family, in my ministry, of course, in my marriage. I have people over very frequently and, and across the board, they'll say, it's so peaceful here. Well, you're right, it is. We don't allow strife in this house. It is not invited. Let me tell you, can I just give you a secret? We're not talking about this, but I'm going to just give you a secret. I'll tell you how to keep strife out of your relationships. You want to know? Recognize that your spouse is not your enemy. And together resist the real enemy. The thief comes to steal. And we tell our marriage group this. If you will just recognize that your spouse is not your enemy and you work together against the one who is, you won't have strife. But most people don't recognize that. Why? Why? Because we are sense-oriented. And I feel like he is my enemy. And that's just not true. I don't, but I'm just saying. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, the Greek word, and this is something I need you to remember because we're going to look at my very favorite Bible person today. But what I need you to understand is this. The Bible was translated in Greek, but they did not speak Greek to one another. They spoke Aramaic. If you saw the Passion of the Christ, remember the whole thing's in Aramaic and you had to read the subscripts. They spoke Aramaic, which is a sister to Hebrew. And so shalom, shalom, Hebrew, Aramaic. Actually, in Aramaic, it would be shalem. And I'll talk to you more about that in a minute. But in Greek, the word for peace, is, it's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E, but it's pronounced Irene or Irene, like the name Irene. That was my mother-in-law's name. So it's not hard for me to, to uh, remember that. But that word in the Greek means oneness, quietness, safety, and prosperity. So it's very akin to shalom. And we're going to talk more and more about that. So today, we've talked about the law first mention. You remember what that is? And the law first mention is when something is mentioned first in Scripture, it follows that thread typically throughout the Bible. So there is peace spoken before the Lord is revealed as our peace. But the first mention of the Lord our peace is Gideon. And you probably know the story of Gideon. God comes to him and, and he says, oh, hell, mighty man of valor. And Gideon immediately tells him that he has an inferiority complex. <laughs> and basically to paraphrase, what are you talking about? We are the smallest of clan. I am nothing. See, he had that shame grid, that shame filter. I'm nothing. There's something wrong with me. But, you know, I just love the fact that the Lord is not intimidated by our insecurities. Gideon 6, 23 and 24. The Lord said to Gideon, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. 
Now, God told Gideon, you're going to conquer the Amalekites. And this is when he became afraid and argued with God and said, you just, you don't know me. I'm the least. And God said, no, you're, you're the most. You don't have to be afraid because I am your peace. I am your shalom. In Judges 6, 34, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself and took possession of him. And he blew a trumpet and the clan of Abizar was gathered to him. And of course, we know that Gideon prevailed. And it's a very, very famous story. But how often when the Lord tells us to do something, we just immediately brush him off. Well, I'm not, I, who am I? I'm nobody, I'm nothing. I mean, you look at some of the people today that are very well known in, in the body of Christ, whether or not you like them, I don't care about that. I'm just using them as an example. I'll use Joyce Meyer. I mean, this, this lady was repeatedly raped by her father. But God called her when she was a teenager told her you're going to preach around the world. And yes, she went through a lot of trials, but, but what if she had said, oh no, I'm a victim. And now look at her. She's 80 years old, has a ministry that has spanned the world, affected the whole world, just simply because of one reason. The Lord clothed Joyce with himself. And he'll do the same for you and me. All we have to do is be willing. Stop arguing, you know? I mean, to just to use a really rough term, just shut your mouth <laughs> and agree with God. When you open it, agree with God. Or uh, the guy in Houston, uh, Joel Osteen. He wasn't supposed to take over the ministry. He was a cameraman. He was behind the camera. His sister was supposed to take over the ministry. But all he had to do was say yes. And the Spirit of the Lord clothed Joel with himself. I mean, you can just go down the line. Just go down the line. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. And the Spirit of God will clothe you with himself. He might have, you might not want, I've talked to people that didn't want children. And for all I know, they gave birth to the next Billy Graham. You know, when Horatio Horowitz thought his ministry was over, I think that was his name. He'd gone all over, had tent meetings, hundreds of people got saved. He goes to North Carolina, you probably know the story. He gives an invitation. One little farm boy in overalls comes up. The kid gives his heart to the Lord. Horatio thought, well, I'm done. People aren't coming anymore to my meetings. Just one little kid gets saved. That kid was Billy Graham. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Billy with himself. Just say, yes, I, I wasn't planning on doing that, but somebody needs to hear that today. So it, it is the will of the Father and the heart of the Father that we all live a life of shalom. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Peace I leave you. Irene, but he was speaking Aramaic, shalom. You have to remember that when you read the New Testament because otherwise you're not going to get the full impact. All right, let's look at, um, no, first of all, let me just tell you, okay, Hebrew lesson. I don't speak Hebrew again, but I have studied all Hebrew words are, have a root that is three consonants. In Hebrew, there's not a vowel. Not in, I'm talking Bible Hebrew. I don't know about today. So three consonants. That is the hub of the will. From those three consonants, they're spokes. And many words come out 
of that root word. So if you go to Strong's, or you go to Brown Driver Briggs, which is what I use mostly, you will often see either a primitive root, which means it's that three consonant hub, or you will see from a primitive root from which this word sprang. Shalom comes from the primitive root of shalom, shalem, S-H-L-E-M. And that it is spelled shin, lamed, mem. Three consonants. When vav is inserted, it becomes shalom. Shalem, I love this, means whole and complete. So shalem means the peace that comes from being whole. And in the Bible days, not anymore, but in the Bible days, when the Jews went to one another and said shalom, and if you watch The Chosen, you're going to hear this over and over again, shalom, shalom, they're saying, are you whole? Are you complete? Is there anything about you broken or missing? I meant to go buy an apple pie today, which I don't eat, and I didn't. I had a full day yesterday, and I was going to cut a pie out of it and give somebody the piece and ask you if I had just given you a whole pie. No. Have you ever been to a function? Come on, and maybe you're the one that does it. Back in the days of potluck or pot bless or whatever it's called now. And you know, you bring, you, everybody know what that is. Maybe young people are like, what? We just call Uber Eats. But you, you know, everybody would bring a dish. And I remember you seeing cakes and there was a little piece cut out. What did that mean? That the person that made it had a piece before they brought it. It wasn't whole. It wasn't whole. God wants us whole, the heart of the father. It's for us to be whole. Amen. So, shalem is the peace that comes from being whole. And from that, we get the Bible word shalom. Now, I'm going to read to you. If you have a passion translation, in Psalm 34, the footnote is so powerful. In Psalm 34, twice the Hebrew uses the word shalom. The word means much more than peace. It means wholeness, wellness, well-being, safe, happy, friendly, favored, complete. To make peace, secure, to prosper, to be victorious, to be content, tranquil, quiet, restful. How many of you would like to have that? The pictograph, because you know that Hebrew letters are pictures. It's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The Bible Hebrew are pictures. The pictograph symbols of the word shalom, shin, lamed, vav, mem, read, destroy the authority that binds you to chaos. So when you have true shalom in your life, the authority that binds you to chaos is destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm taking it. I'm taking the heart of the Father. The noun shalom is derived from the verbal root shalom, and it means to restore in the sense of replacing or providing what is needed in order to make someone or something whole and complete. So shalom is used to describe those of us who have been provided all that is needed to be whole and complete and break off all authority that would attempt to bind us to chaos. Okay. I, this makes me happy. It makes me want to receive all that God has for me. 
Genesis 43, 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present which they had with them and bowed themselves to the ground. And he asked them of their shalom. Is your father, your old father, shalom of whom you spoke? Now, of course, they didn't know this was Joseph whom they had sold into slavery. They stole his wholeness, his shalom, but God gave it back to him. And they answered, your servant, our father is shalom. He is still alive. Now you have to go back and research the Hebrew. But you know, this morning I was, I was thinking, and I love this because I would say, I don't know, maybe I should make you guess. All right, somebody take a guess. What do you think is one of the most quoted promises in the Old Testament? Think of something and yell it out. A frequently quoted all the time. You, what? Which one? No, 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 not fear not. That's it. Rita, bingo. Woo. Jeremiah 29, 11. You ready? For I know the plans and thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for shalom and not for disaster. See, we say plans for peace, but you got to know what it means. I'm binding the authority that leads to chaos. My plans for you are wholeness and completeness. Nothing broken, nothing missing. Why? Because I, the Lord, am your peace. Uh, let's see, I don't know if I want to read that or not. 2 Kings 4.8. Remember the story of the uh, lady, the Shunammite woman? I think that's who she was. The, the woman from Shunam or whoever she was. And uh, remember that she took care. She had a prophet's room for Elisha. See, I got it right this time. And... Elisha was so grateful because she always had a room. And, you know, the Bible calls her in 2 Kings 4, 8, a great woman or a woman of nobility. I hope we would all be referred to as a man or a woman of nobility or greatness. And so he said, what can I do for this lady? And his servant said, well, she doesn't have a child. And so Elisha goes to her and he said, by this time next year, you will have a son. She didn't even ask for one. And sure enough, she got a son. And you know what happened, right? The little boy grows up and he's working in the field with his father. And apparently he has a heat stroke. The reason we think that is because he said, my head, my head, and which was a symbol or sign of a heat stroke. And he died. And remember what the lady did? She didn't say, go call the morgue she said go lay him on his bed and hasten bring me a donkey nobody knew what was going on so she's far off Elisha sees her and he said uh, why is the, Sh the, the Shunammite coming to me he said I can sense something's wrong and she would not back down until she saw the man of God and in verse 8 it fell on that day that Elisha passed to Shunem, and there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And verse 16, 
about this season, according to the time of life, you will embrace his son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, don't lie to your handmaid. And the woman conceived and bore a son, just when Elisha said. And then it fell as he grew up, he dies. And so she went, in verse 25, she came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray you, meet her and say unto her. Now, the translation said, is it well with thee? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered it as well. But do you know what the Hebrew word was? Elisha asked, is it shalom? Is it shalom with you, your husband, your child? And I've heard that quoted so many times. We're going to say what the Shunammite said, it is well. But what she, she said one word, shalom, it is well. You know, and then basically, this is my translation. She grabbed him by the neck <laughs> and tells him off, I didn't ask for this. You said it to me. You go raise him from the dead. And he did. <laughs> Why? Because something was missing in her life. And he gave her back her son because she said, shalom. That's how powerful that word is. But it's been watered down. I asked an Israeli friend of mine who's a Jew, I said, what does shalom mean? Because I'm thinking she's going to go. And she goes, it means hello. And she said, don't say shalom alekum. Say shalom something or else. I was like, all right. Well, shalom alekum is what the Muslims say. That's not what the Jews say. Okay. But you still got the meaning wrong. Because it's been watered down. You know why? The devil is terrified of the Lord who is our peace. And her only confession was shalom. In John 14, 24, the first time, no, that's not what I want to read. John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect shalom. Again, the Greek is Irene. But he spoke Aramaic. In me you may have perfect shalom. In the world you have tribulation, you have trials, distress, and frustration. No kidding, Jesus. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. I've overcome the world and I have deprived it of power to harm you and I have conquered it for you. Why could he say that? Because he is our peace. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That's why I don't worry about the political chaos in this world because the government is on his shoulders. And there is a scripture I stand on. Regardless of what, this is not about political parties, people. It's about the fact that God is not mocked. And so whatever is dark on whatever side, I don't care. I just know all darkness will come to the light and the light will overpower the darkness because God is not mocked. And I know this, God gives us plenty of time to repent. He's so kind about that. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Hebrew is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of Shalom, there shall be no end. Thanks be to God. In Isaiah 53, you probably know very well, verses 4 and 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The punishment for our shalom fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now I'm going to read to you a very accurate Hebrew translation from Koran Publishers. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. The actual Hebrew is sickness. And we hid our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. But in truth, he has borne our sickness and endured our pain. Why? He is Jehovah Rapha. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded because of our transgressions, bruised because of our iniquities. His sufferings were that we might have shalom. And by his injury, we are healed. I don't know how much clearer it can be. I mean, you can edit it, rationalize it. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't change the truth. And I'm telling you something, you water down the word of God, that's what you'll have, a watered down version, a diluted version. Say it's a cold, a hot, not a God help us, a hot day. I don't understand why we are breaking records, but we are breaking records every day. It was 104 yesterday with the heat index of 111. I cannot even walk my dog. I mean, it's hot. But, you know, you just want a cold glass of iced tea if you're a Texan. If you're not, you probably hate iced tea. You want a cold glass of iced tea, and somebody hands you a watered-down, lukewarm version. Well, help yourself. I don't want anything in my life watered down. Genesis 43, did I already read? I think I read that already. Never mind. I did. Okay. I was so desperate to know the Prince of Peace because I grew up with thoughts of punishment. I was always waiting until the next time I was punished. I've given you my testimony many times. This was in the days before my father got born again. I'm going to say it again. After he got born again, he was the nicest, kindest, sweetest, most lovely, easy to be around, phenomenal man on earth. But before he was born again, he wasn't. And I had a lot of beatings. I know firsthand that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Because with my dad, old things were passed away. All new things were come. If he had lived, he would have been 100 years old on May 23rd. But he, he was just, I'm so excited to see him again. Just the kindest, sweetest Southern gentleman in the whole world. But it wasn't that way prior to that, and, and I had a lot of punishment. And so I grew up with the punishment mentality. I grew up waiting for God to punish me. And I'm going to tell you something right now. One way the Lord has delivered me from that, and I'm just telling you the honest truth, is because he blessed me with 10 of the most phenomenal grandchildren. And when I look at them, I see the favor of God. I see the favor of God. I mean, just look at those blue eyes back there. She can be a mess sometimes. She gives me a very hard time. But I adore her. Don't shake your head no. You know it's true. She keeps telling me she's going to jump out of a plane, dive to the bottom of the ocean, go into the bush of Africa alone. How nice is that? But she's not. Honestly, though, and, and my daughters as well, but you know when you're a parent, it's right in your face, 
And when you're a grandparent, it's at a distance. And I see the love and favor of God in their faces. How much more the Prince of Peace? How much more? If you look into the face of Jesus. And the Bible says, and we all, with unveiled faces, behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And we are transformed in the same image. At the end of the last season, the Lord spoke to me and he said, when we go come back in September, he said, you will enter a season of glory. So driving here this morning, I heard a song and I don't listen to the radio much because I'm typically just praying in the spirit when I'm driving. But I turned on the radio, I know it was the Holy Spirit, and there was a song on that absolutely described exactly how I feel. And Abby, do you have the lyrics or no? Or just the YouTube? Can you look up the lyrics for me? Because I called our worship leader, he goes, I've never heard it. So I called my granddaughter and she found it like in, you know, five seconds. So if you, if you do bring it up here, because I'm telling you, this is exactly how I feel. I want you to know what you're going to come back to. Did you find it? Plus everybody can see how pretty you are. Oh, you're not embarrassed. No, you're not. Come up here. I can't reach. Isn't she gorgeous? Those blue eyes that she looks just like me. Mm-hmm. Here you go. And I just want to be in the room. I want to be in the room when you move. And I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving till you do. I just want to be in the room. I want to be in the room when you move. And now I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until you do. I want to see the blind receive their sight and hear the praise of the voiceless start to rise. Every child of God baptized with fire right here in the presence of the healer. Because I just want to be in the room when you move and I'm not leaving until you do. So tear off the roof and lower me down whatever it takes to get me to you. Tear off the roof and lower me down whatever it takes to get me to you. God, I want to see you break through. Tear off the roof and lower me down whatever it takes to get me to you. Roll every stone, push through the crowd. God, I want to see you break through. I want to see you break through because I want to be in the room. Thank you, baby. When you move. And I'm determined because I'm setting my heart toward the Lord, my shepherd and my healer and my peace and the other Jehovah names that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Next week, we're going to look at the Lord, our provider, Jehovah Jireh. I definitely know him as that. He's promised as a covenant of peace. I want to read to you a few scriptures. Numbers 25, 12, behold, I give to my priests my covenant of peace. Ezekiel 37, 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them and it will be an everlasting covenant. Ezekiel 34, 25, I'll confirm with them a covenant of peace. Leviticus 26, 6 and 9, I will give you peace in the land. You will lie down. None will fill you with dread or make you afraid. And I will clear ferocious beasts out of your land. Those are demonic spirits. For I will be leaning toward you with favor and regard to you and ratify my covenant with you. It's a covenant of peace. Isaiah 54, 10, the mountains will depart and the hills should be shaken. But my covenant of peace will not depart from you. The Amplified says, my covenant of peace and completeness will not be removed from you. Nothing broken, nothing missing. That is the heart of the Father. Malachi 2.5, my covenant with Levi the priest was to give him life and peace. 
He's made a covenant. It is unbreakable. And the only one that can break it is you and me. And so now I'm going to close with the story of my favorite Bible person is the woman with the issue of blood. And I love, love, love it when, the, when a woman in the Bible has no name because that's me. If she was not given a name, that's me. That's you. And you know the story. If you have not watched season three of The Chosen, get online and watch five and six, episode five and six. It's a story of the woman with the issue of blood. Now, again, I'm going to remind you, they did not speak Greek to one another. They spoke Aramaic, okay? So if you're just looking at the Greek, you're going to miss it. So I'm going to insert the Aramaic. So Mark 6, or excuse me, 524. Jesus went with them and a great crowd followed him, pressed him from all sides. It almost suffocated him. And there was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians. She spent all she had and she was no better, but instead grew worse. The woman who played this character should get an Academy Award for best. I'm just telling you. Because you really get a glimpse of what she could have gone through. Now, tampons and stay free and always, I mean, it's like glorified, like some wonderful piece of jewelry. <laughs> and they're all wearing white and bikinis. <laughs> they didn't have that. They wore rags that they had to go and wash in dirty water. How, oh, I'm speaking to the women now, not to the men. How much blood do you think that's going to hold without breaking through? And really shows how it would break through and run down her legs. And people would scream, unclean, unclean. And she was ashamed and she was sick and she was broke. She spent all she had on doctors. I mean, they tried. And you wonder, did you have a tumor? Did you have fibroids? Polyps? 12 years. So she was anemic. She was sick. She was broke. And she had to keep going back and washing and washing and washing. And she was alone. She was alone. She heard the reports concerning Jesus and she came up behind him in the throng and she touched his garment. For she kept saying, don't ever think your words don't matter. If I only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. And immediately her flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly she felt in her body she was healed of her distressing ailment. And Jesus, recognizing in himself that power proceeded from him, had gone forth. He turned around immediately and he said, who touched me? I love the disciples. What do you mean who touched you? Do you see these crowds? Now, if you saw the portrayal, when she, she literally presses through, she falls down and she grabs the tallit, the tassels on the rabbi's garment. And, and jo Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, I mean, his whole body convulses. It was the best portrayal because he said, power, dunamis, dynamite went out of me. Can you imagine if that were you, how you would feel? 
I mean, I'd get up and I'd sing at the top of my lungs and I can't sing. Several weeks ago, some of you remember, I had laryngitis. And when I started getting my voice back, I had a, what they call smoky voice. And I had Abigail in the car with me and I said, listen, and I sang and it was beautiful. <laughs> she goes, wow, Mimi, you actually stayed on pitch. <laughs> it's gone now. The, and so she, Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done, though alarmed and frightened and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has restored you to health. Shalom. Now a Jew, and she was a Jew, he said daughter. And she was obeying the rituals of the law of Judaism. She understood when he said shalom to her. Daughter, you are whole. No longer is anything broken nor missing. So he not only gave her back her health, he gave her back her money because then she could go and do whatever she needed to do. Love that story. I want you to know this principle. It's very, 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 very important. A lot of the promises in the Bible are like a chess game. Now listen to me, and I don't play chess, but... God will never move out of turn. I'm going to give you an example. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, my move, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. All right, I made my move. I make my request. I thank you, Lord, for the answer. His move and the peace of God, the shalom of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. My move for the rest, whatever is true, worthy of reverence, honorable, seemly, just, and pure, whatever is lovely and kind and winsome and gracious, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. His, my move, his move, my move. Don't think you don't have responsibility. Even the woman with the issue had to press through the crowd. Don't think you can never spend any time in his presence praying, communing with him, reading the word of God, praising him in worship. Don't think you never spend time or you give God a tip and then you expect the fullness of shalom. It won't happen. There is only one virgin birth, and she had to yield her body. Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. That word no, gnosko in the scripture, is a word of intimacy. Into me see. You have to be intimate with the Lord. In John 20, before Jesus ascended, after he ascended, they were locked behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Shalom. Verse 21, and Jesus said to them again, Shalom. Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So I want to close with a, um, something I do. And you might or you might not. And by the way, probably most of you know Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. 
You know that's double shalom? He will keep in shalom, shalom. Completeness, wholeness. Binding the authority that leads to chaos. I saw a little clip yesterday with Bill Johnson. And it was so, so good. And you know, I meant to write it down, but I think, because I am so smart, I think that I have it somewhere. Well, it's somewhere. But what he said is, if you lose your peace, you have to stop because he's a God of peace. He's the Lord, our peace, Jehovah Shalom, the heart of the Father. You have to stop and say, where did I lose my peace? I thought this was so helpful. And so he gave an example, 11 o'clock on a particular morning. And all of a sudden, his peace is gone. All right, I'm going to backtrack. What stole my peace? Oh, it was that phone call I got from so-and-so. You go back to that place where you lost your peace. Lord, I'm sorry. I gave up my peace. I forfeited it because of what somebody said or did or a situation. I just placed myself back under the prince, the rulership, the legislative rule of Jehovah Shalom. I thought that was so helpful just to go back to where you got off. Hebrews 13, 20, now may the God of peace, the God of Shalom, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood that sealed the covenant, strengthen, complete, perfect, and make you what you ought to be. How powerful. In that one verse, we see Jehovah Shalom and Jehovah Raha, the shepherd. This is something I am doing every day. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and I'm, I'm done. And may the God of peace himself, the God of Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, sanctify you through and through. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved sound and complete and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Faithful is he who is calling you and utterly trustworthy, and he will do it. So this is what I'm praying for over me and my family. And may the very God of Shalom sanctify us whole, and may our whole spirit, our whole soul, and our whole body be preserved whole until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Faithful are you, Lord, who called us, and you will do it. You will fulfill your call by hallowing and keeping us. I encourage you to make that a daily practice because he is the Lord of peace. And so, Lord, thank you. You haven't changed you are who you say you are. You are still Jehovah Shalom. Help us to go back and determine through your spirit where we lost our peace and take it back. Because our move is to possess the land of your promise. And the land of your promise is wholeness. Thank you, Lord, that the punishment for our Shalom fell upon you. And by your wounds, we are healed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting chosenessay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.